In a world that's always changing, there is one thing that never changes, God's unchanging word. And now, from God's Unchanging Word Studios in New Orleans, we are pleased to bring you news, nuggets, and insights with today's host, Tom Carey. Well, greetings, everyone, and welcome to God's Unchanging Word in another edition for our news, nuggets, and insights. Today is Friday, January 14th, 2022. It's our second program of the year, and we do have a lot of information that we need to push out this program out and get it to you as quickly as possible. Growing global unrest around the world. While here in America, they're always focused on certain things that particularly interest us, the rest of the world is moving on to biblical prophecy. We're going to begin to bring some of those stories to you today in areas you probably never heard of before. Changing laws, talking about how COVID now is beginning to have the mind acceptance of preparing us for concentration camps and have people saying, this is a good idea. That's right. Twelfth night, it's connection to Mardi Gras and how Mardi Gras is connected to the pillars of Christianity as most of the world understands it today between Christmas and Easter. And Mardi Gras, in case you didn't know it, it is the missing link that connects it all. We're going to talk about that today. But first, let's get into something that's been really exciting for us here at the Church of God Ministries International. The renewal. Now, the renewal... We believe that they were expecting a lot more people to show up than actually did show up. There's a number of reasons for it, which um, don't have time to get into it today. But for us as a work, in our outreach, the way it went, it was a tremendous success. In fact, they gave away thousands and thousands of pieces of material. We had 11 volunteers to work the booths. We wound up having three booths. When we had so many volunteers, we were able to, uh, to obtain a second booth. We, we bought a second booth, and they gave us a third booth while we were down there. So we had 11 volunteers from three different states go out, and they gave away over 2,000 items. And I went back, and I tried to add up all the stuff that I printed to send down there, and there was literally well over 3,000 pieces of literature and DVDs to give away, and they gave away over 1,000 DVDs. And it was amazing how excited the brethren were who came back from that event just, just, just uh, with joy, filled with over joy. And it was almost like when the apostles and Christ sent them out and they came back two by two. And it was so excited with the things that happened. Well, we're going to talk more about that next week because we just got in. We're going through the debriefing. And I don't have all the pictures. So I'm going to share a lot more of that next week. But here's the thing I want to leave with you today is 1 Corinthians 3, verse 6. It says, I have planted, and of course we understand that as Paul, the Apostle Paul. He said, I have planted, Apollos watered, but God gives the increase. And they had literally hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of people actually showed up at the table that God had directed over there. How many came just to get information? We have no idea. But the goal here is to reach as many people as possible. And as best we can determine, we reached it probably 25% or better of the people who attended that event were able to come to our booth and give them material to be able to share with others. And hopefully they'll go back and they'll read it. And here's what we're hoping for, is that some of those people that God will bring increase into their lives that they'll begin to understand. And as you and I know, it's not an easy task going from a Sunday worship to a Sabbath. It's a life 
life-altering experience. So we're trying to pray that God will continue to bless those people who came in and that his word will continue to spread. And this is probably just the first of other events that we're hoping to get to in the future. So we want to thank everyone for your prayers. We thank you for your support. And even those of you who actually send in financial support to help offset the expenses, thank you so much. And we'll keep you more posted as we go. One more thing I'm going to let you know about coming in January 22nd in Syracuse. <clears throat> They're having what they're calling a spaghetti social or a meet and greet to know the community. They'd be running ads and putting posters up around the city. And it's a smaller community, so this might work. Because they're right, the building God blessed us with is right in the heart of town. In fact, it's in one of the main streets. So what they're going to do now is begin to let the community know that they are there and invite them in for a free spaghetti dinner and social and do an open house and tell them about the church and the Sabbath day. So we're praying about that. This is the first also that that'll work. So we're working on that and want to let everybody know. So if you're in that area, if you're watching on that particular day, why don't you attend with them so that we can just fill the house with volunteers and welcome in the general public. So anyway, I want to let you know about that also. All righty. You can't make this stuff up. Canada has taken away parents' rights to have children counseled to remain straight. Now, I'm not, I'm not making that up. So if your children are being taught or they're hearing in school that the boy thinks he's a girl and vice versa, it's now against the law to try to stop them from changing to what they ought to be at their biological birth. Canada begins conversion therapy. Canadian law beginning so-called conversion therapy went into effect on Friday, January 7th, making it a crime to provide or promote services extended to, intended to change or repress a person's sexual orientation or gender expression. The new law, Canada's criminal code, will prohibit forcing someone to undergo conversion therapy. So they're talking to parents now, saying, listen, if, if he thinks he's a girl, it's, it's against the law for you to say that he's not. And take a next step to show him that he is a boy or vice versa. Taking a minor abroad. So this is a new law now. And in the law, it's saying that if you're going to take your child out the country to give them conversion therapy, that's against the law too. Going on, or profiting from it, or promoting advertising and practice. Now this boils down to a couple of things, which I'm showing you just in a couple of minutes. This is a headline from PNW. New Canadian law will officially describe parts of the Bible as a myth. Now, the law doesn't say that, but it's implied in the way it is written. I'll show you in just a moment. This is the actual law. So no longer is this just a, just a hearsay. This is actually taking place, and this is the law. It's Bill C-4 in the Canadian Code. In summary, it says, it's causing another person to undergo conversion therapy is against the law. Doing anything for the purpose of removing a child from Canada with the intention that the child undergo conversion therapy outside of Canada, that is also against the law. So now, let's go on with it. I wanted to show you, I'm going to blow that up just a little bit. I went through that real quick, but this is the area that I want to get to that pertains to Bible. This is actually written in the law. Whereas conversion therapy causes harm to society because, among other things, it is based on and propagates myths and stereotypes about sexual orientation. See, that hits to the core 
of what we believe as a church, that the Bible is the foundation of all truth. And God says when he created, he created male and female, and that the two shall be twain. Not male and male, not female and female. According to the law now, because of the way it is written, that now, because of what we believe in Scripture, that is a myth. So in essence, the headline is true, but you have to go through it to find out what it is implied to say. So it's a myth, according to them, and it's a stereotype. So anyway, they're trying to destroy it. So now, here's the concern for the churches. The language of the bill is very broad, sweeping. With the passage of Bill C-4, the conversion therapy ban, there's a great deal of concern among the Canadian churches. What was repeatedly requested by many of those making submissions was the government's guarantee included in the legislation itself. And that is, the conversations with religious leaders a counselor or a parent continued to be protected as possible, the lawmaker added, sadly, these requests were not considered. And I've had this experience in the past where I've gotten phone calls, or I've actually people had come up to me and said, listen, can you talk to my son or my daughter? And it was because they were concerned that the child was being influenced to move into a direction that was going to be harmful, which would actually change their agenda. So now it is, and this is what the churches are concerned about, if a parent talks to the, to the clergy or someone to say, listen, can you help my child? That's against the law now. This is very broad sweeping. If they give a sermon in the pulpit and says that God says male and woman, not male and male, and speaks against LGBT, Q plus M-O-U-S-A, that that also could be a serious problem, could have them fined or put in jail. We've been warning now since we actually began News Nuggets and Insights, knowing that this day was going to come. And this day is now here in Canada. How far and how fast it will be going into effect and to what degree, we don't know yet. But we do know one thing. Whenever you've got a foundation lead, it only gets worse. Okay, now, I get, we got a video. And this actually is the video that came into law. You've probably seen it in a previous slide. It says video. So I'm going to go ahead and play that now, but I want to get that Bible information in there first so that when you see it, we have everything in its foundation in proper order. Let's play the video. There was another significant surprise today, an unexpected move by the Conservative Party that will make life safer for so many in this country. CTV's Ottawa Bureau Chief Joyce Napier on a house united against the dangerous practice of conversion therapy. There being no dissenting voice, I declare the motion carried. This is what the House of Commons looked like this afternoon. Liberals and Conservatives actually hugging after MPs voted unanimously to ban conversion therapy, a rare moment in Canadian parliamentary history. I dream of a day when our LGBTQ2 issues are no longer political footballs. And we are one day closer to that future. A long-awaited victory. I'm feeling so overjoyed today. I can't believe I lived to see this day, literally. After undergoing conversion therapy when I was 15 years old, I tried to take my own life. The bill passed in the House today makes it illegal to forcibly try to change adults' and children's sexual orientation. 
the conversion therapy issue has pitted conservatives against progressives in parliament. Uh, Mr. Speaker, I'm asking for unanimous consent. But in a political twist today, it was the conservatives who fast-tracked the bill through the House and across the finish line, shutting down any opportunity for the liberals to paint them as socially regressive. The leader said just after the caucus that we are ready to accelerate, and accelerate means fabling emotion. There are clearly people in the Conservative caucus who exercised a great deal of leadership on the issue, uh, and I thank them. I thank them sincerely. A pause in the usual bickering. The bill was tabled twice before by the Trudeau government, and each time it died on the order paper. Once, when Justin Trudeau prorogued Parliament, and again this year, when he called an election, Lisa, the bill is now in the hands of the Senate. Isn't it sad that the, the Conservative in the left wing finally come together to break God's laws. That's a shame. That's the way this world is heading. Alrighty, World Watch. Let's talk about something in an area you probably never even heard of before. This is coming under global unrest and it's all being brought about because of the changes of COVID-19 allowing laws, lockdowns, and repression in parts of the world we never dreamed about. Now, I'm going to bring you a slide that I brought in from my sermon I gave just last week on the Mark of the Beast. And if you didn't see that sermon yet, it is online, but you can get it right away. Just, just go to the website and you can take a look at it. I want to bring you about something that's happening now to show you why all these things are taking place. COVID-19, this is the chart that begins in 2014 to 2015, goes all the way to 2030 because this is what the agenda is for the Pope. And in this period of time, we have used this as, as the platform to begin to bring out information that pertains from the beginning of the Blood Moon Tetrad, which was the eighth Tetrad, or the beginning of a new movement, because eight always begins new or first. So that's what we were looking at. So here's what I want to bring out. COVID-19 has become the weapon that has breached the walls of our Constitution and the minds and hearts of countless millions of people around the world. So we don't realize exactly what has been going on, but how this has actually changed the way people actually think. Consider going back two years ago, people would have never allowed the government to come in and shut us down or allowed us to shut down churches, allowed you to keep from even singing a psalm in church or schools and businesses. They'd have never done it. But now we've got it convinced in our minds COVID is the reason we have to do it for the good of everybody. So what is going on here? And let's draw some understanding from it. From 2015 to 2022, which is actually the year we're in right now, is a seven-year period as we understand a Shemitah-type year. And we are in the Shemitah, or the seventh year is a period of rest of God. If we went another seven years, it brings us from 2022 to 2029. And in that period of time, Another event is, going, uh, event is going to be taking place. So let's show you how this all begins to play out. To understand what I'm talking about, I go into 2 Kings 25, talking about Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, who besieged the city of Jerusalem. And it gives us the period of time and about how long he was there. And it was a period of several years that the king Babylon had put a siege around Babylon. And then in verse 3, he says, In the ninth month and the fourth month, the famine prevailed in the city, and the city was broken up, and all the men fled by night. Now, that period of time is, the, is uh, Tammuz 9. And Tammuz 9 is the breaching of the walls. That's when it finally breached, 
where, where the enemy who had besieged the city, in other words, they, they, they surround the city and they starve them out. In other words, they make them so weak that it makes it easy to go in or for the city to simply just give up. But in this particular area, what he did is they besieged the city for several years. When the people were at a weakened state, they breached the wall and they went into the city. Then on the ninth of Av, everything was, was destroyed and the temple fell just a few weeks later. What happens that a breach of a mind allows the government to breach the walls of our protection, our constitution, and our freedom to be able to come in and destroy the nation as we understood it? Well, it's the same thing that the Jews faced in World War II when they went and said, listen, it's better to work with the government of the Nazis and just accept what they're telling us. And they marched by their millions into the death camps. Well, we're in the same thing now, the same reasons, the mindset, but this is more of a spiritual nature of what's going on, is Satan is breaching the minds of God's laws to be able to accept Satan's will. That's what's going on right now. So now let's put this on the chart and show you how it plays out. So you ready? Let's watch this. The siege began in 2015-2020, and the breach I've got from 2020 to 2022 is the breach, because that is the time in the period of COVID. The assault is in 2022 to 2029, so all of these things begin to take place. Back in 2018, when I saw what was going on and how the people's minds were being affected by the changes in America, I likened it to a siege, and actually we did this four-part series on America under siege, and it shows you how the mindset was beginning to change, having no idea. And this is how I believe God is leading this work in, in our mindset to get us to understand. So if you get to understand the process of what's going on, it helps you to be prepared for what's coming. So we did that in 2018. Just last month, in, in December, I put repairing the breach. So somewhere between the siege and the breach, and I believe it was COVID that created the mindset to allow Satan to come in and change the freedom that we have in this nation. I did a sermon on repairing the breach, how it's important for God's people to be out there and taking care of God's work to warn the people for what's coming. I'm hoping to this Sabbath, tomorrow, God willing, I'm taping on Tuesday, that I have enough time to put that sermon together right here on the wearing down of the saints. Because you see, that's what's coming. The next step that's coming is the assault. And you're going to begin to see the government moving in to assault the freedoms that we have, not just here, but around the world. So they basically, that's where we're at right now, where I put the store. We're between the breach and the assault. The mindset is there. People are willing to give up their freedoms with, with the exception of hands full of people around the country who are fighting with all their power to stop this government takeover and the freedom. Once that's gone, Satan will come in with all his demonic beliefs and begin to change all the minds around the world. So now, how does that work? And take a look at this. COVID is the ingredient that's been missing. This is a tracker from 2020 to where it's at today. And, and look at it the way it is right now. Just yesterday, there were almost 1.5 million, just under 1.5 million new cases of COVID. All right, so there's the chart. So look what they tell us is coming. Get ready for the spike in global unrest. 
COVID, huge protests across Europe over new restrictions. Global Peace Index 2021 reveals a year of civil unrest. These are things that are not being reported here in the United States, so people here have no idea what's going on. I came across this map. I was, I was looking for the global unrest, and this comes out of Carnegie. This is an endowment for international peace. Everywhere you see on that chart all those little dots, those are what's going on around the country for global unrest that was in 2021 and what they anticipate in 2022, all taking place all the way around the world. Over 230 significant anti-government protests erupted worldwide. More than 110 countries have experienced significant protest. 78% of the authoritarian or the authoritarian-leaning countries have faced significant protests. So the freedoms are being removed even in the authoritarian states and countries and making it where the people have absolutely no freedoms. How about this country? I've just got it up on the screen there. Kazakhstan. Kazakhstan, you're not going to believe, is a country we never even heard of before. It's right there. All right, there's Kazakhstan. What is important about that? This is just given as one area of unrest that's going on around the world. More than 100 businesses and banks were attacked and looted. Over 400 vehicles were destroyed, according to the ministry. Kazakhstan had more than 160 people killed and 5,000 arrests during the rise. How long ago was that? Last week. This was just last week. How many people heard about it on the news? In other words, there's so much going on that the news is so focused on politics and upon COVID and upon sexuality that they have no idea what's going on around the world. Let's play that video, Joe. On Almaty's streets, in a hard-to-verify social media post, an ugly overnight crackdown. People scream and scurry for cover. Panic, as well as bullets in the air. They're dead, they're dead, a man says. A motionless body, just out of safe reach, stretched out on the freezing ground. In the same city, the country's biggest, protesters fought pitched battles with uniformed forces, casualties accumulating on both sides. Law enforcement appearing to gain the upper hand with arrests and killings. Police claim they took deadly action overnight, describing an as yet unverified shadowy shoot first, ask questions later crackdown. Last night, extremist forces attempted to storm the administrative buildings and police department in the city of Almaty. Dozens of attackers were eliminated and their identities are still being verified. The mayor's burnt-out office in Almaty, apparent testimony to the ferocity of the battles fought. Without offering proof, the Kazakh president claiming protesters are foreign-backed terrorists, an often-used trope to deflect blame that the Russian government is also repeating, a characterization rejected by protesters. We are neither thugs nor terrorists, this woman says. The only thing flourishing here is corruption. We want the truth, this protester says. The government is rich, but all of these people here have loans to pay. We have our pain and we want to share it. But truth and facts here are in short supply. 
the internet down for a second day. Residents reporting a scary quiet, braving government warnings to stay indoors, to go out and search for open shops to buy essentials. Russian state media reporting heavily on allegedly rampant looting by some protesters, as well as highlighting violence against Kazakh law enforcement. As part of a regional security agreement, Russian paratroopers began deploying to guard state and military facilities. The fourth consecutive day of protest. Gunfire and explosions still rocking Almaty. Nick Robertson, CNN, Moscow. The thing that set it all off was COVID. The lockdowns, fuel prices began to surge as the prices doubled, lack of food and lack of jobs. That's growing all the way around the world, and we're going to continue to see that increase. Don't be surprised at some point down the road, it may be down the road a few years, but you don't begin to see a lot of that taking place right here in the United States of America. The Bible warns that these things are coming. World Health Organization brings this out. That I don't know if you've seen this yet or not. This is from Video Access, which is launched by the World Health Organization, or WHO. This is a chart of the adverse reactions to medicines. This is a legitimate chart. They began it back in 1995. So I'm going to bring you out something here. At the very bottom of this chart, the COVID-19 vaccine. Now, most people who do take it, they're safe and, and they're, they're fine. Whether it works or not, it's every, anybody's guess, depending on who you are, if it's working for you or not, because now they're on, they're on the third vaccine and now they want to do a fourth booster and we haven't even got through on third yet. But take a look at this. Adverse reactions recorded. This is just the ones that are recorded. Almost two and a half million adverse reactions, including death has been taking place since this came about just two years ago. Now, in, in Invermectin, which the government now has basically seized and distributing them at their will since it began in 1992 till now, has reported 5,700 reactions. Big difference. Big difference. But now the government doesn't want you to take it, and Ivermectin, all distribution for that now is going through the federal government. In many states now, we're saying that we used this in 2020 and helped a lot of people. Now they're saying they can't get it. So this is really strange what's going on here. So what we're looking at is causing people to reject getting the vaccine. So when they ask for what's in the vaccine and, just, and give us the information, let's make it clear, they're asking for a 75-year blackout <laughs> about what's in the vaccine and how it works. 75 years. Now, a court has said, no, you don't get 75 years. You've got to bring it out now. So that's another argument that's coming for another time. But here's what's going on in the middle of all of this, creating laws for lockdowns. We brought this out just two weeks ago, said that there would be future lockdowns that would create laws, and we brought out the information for New York. And remember, if you haven't seen it, go back two weeks ago. It's online. You can see this program. It was called Bill A-416. Now, according to this bill, and I won't go through all the readings of it, is the bill itself was bringing out the ability to remove and detain people at the, at the whim of a government or one person, the governor himself. Now, we said that this law, if it actually gets through, and it's pretty close to being through now, if it gets through, we give them the opportunity when they declare an emergency 
that the government has the right that if you don't listen to the CDC or what a government about lockdowns and about getting a shot, they can come remove you from your home and put you somewhere by the will of just one person or a group of people. The section shall be utilized in the event that the governor declares a state of health emergency due to an epidemic or any communicable disease, any communicable diseases coming up. Now, this was on a CD website that just came out just about a week ago. Let me back that up again. CDC website reveals police power will be used in quarantine stations for the benefit of society. How about that? Now we're reaching the state that the law in the CDC is saying that the government can have the authority and will use the authority of the police power to be able to lock up people if they want to. The CDC website reveals police power will be used in quarantine stations for the benefit of society. Now, this is no longer just a rumor of what's coming, coming about. It's no longer the dark state. These are actually laws that are being brought into to effect. The CDC announced on its website that the control and the spread of disease within their borders and states have laws to enforce the use of isolation and quarantine. The law also includes the use of police power functions at its quarantine stations. In addition, it says, serving as medical functions, isolation and quarantine are also the functions of police power derived from the state's right to take action that affect the people for the benefit of society. Now, we showed you New York was leading the way. Now we see the CDC has made it an op optional for all states to be able to use it. This came in in the state of Washington now that a bill was authorized to use a strike force to involuntarily detain unvaccinated families. This is the state of Washington. So if families decide they're not going to get vaccinated and they declare there's an emergency, they now will have the right to go lock up an entire family or a group, for example, a church, who decides not to be vaccinated. It's called WAC 246-100-040. If you want to take a look at it, in the bottom box there, you'll notice it is the powers of police officers, and it goes on with sheriffs, to immediately give orders to be able to lock people up. Unbelievable. You never thought you could see a police state come here in America, but as I showed you on that chart, and that chart from 2015 to 2030, there's a period of time that goes through that, that you surround a city, then you breach the walls, and then you attack. We are now beginning to move into the attack, the spiritual realm of the attack by Satan himself to go after the conservative, or the right, as people want to call it, but what it boils down to is the biblical Christian foundation of those who believe in the Bible is where this eventually is going to. The Bible calls them the elect or the remnant. That's what you're looking at. See, in Canada now, the law, there is no more remnant. There is no more in government. They just threw in the towel. They led the way. We're going to make it okay for everybody that you can no longer change the person in conversion therapy. Who led the way? It was the right. So people who want to leave on government that you're going to think that that's going to save you, you can forget about it because that's eventually going to happen right here in America. It's coming. And we've been warning that it will be here. All right, we're going to take a break. All right, when we take a break, we're going to come back to Twelfth Night and its connection to Mardi Gras. So let me set this up. 
It was four years ago that I began to talk about the biblical connection to Mardi Gras, and we did a three-part series. So what I'm doing today is, I'm because most people who are new to our program, we've grown tremendously over the last four years, have never seen this segment. So what I'm doing from four years ago, instead of coming back to me, you're going to get a very special edition of, of Mardi Gras and its connection with Twelfth Night to the churches. And then when that's finished playing, I will be back here to close our program. Take a look at this video and I'll be right back. Alrighty, Mardi Gras. Here in the city, things are abuzz with Mardi Gras. Most people have heard about Mardi Gras. No doubt that you probably have also. 
However, few have any idea of its origins or of its connection to Satan's plan to destroy mankind. So we're beginning today to begin a multi-part program in News Nuggets and Insights for the next couple weeks or even maybe three weeks, taking little segments of things that are accompanying in Mardi Gras and begin to bring out its significance and how it's tied into religion and how it's tied into Satan's plan to destroy mankind. So, so let's begin with a question. What does Twelfth Night? You might not even ever heard of Twelfth Night, all right? But Mardi Gras season begins on Twelfth Night. So what does Twelfth Night, King Cakes, and Mardi Gras have to do with Christmas and Easter? Interesting question, because you will find as we go through this, this is the link. And I'm going to show you that as we go through this program, starting this morning, which you're going to get on this Friday. And I'm also going to be doing a sermon, which I'm going to be telling you about that in just a little bit, on tomorrow, which is going to be on the Sabbath. So now, all right, so now when we come back, we're going to, we're going to talk about Mardi Gras, and we're going to start our coverage on Mardi Gras. So what we're going to do first is we're going to play you a little video, which is a compitulation of the History Channel and a few other videos about Mardi Gras, and then we will be right back. Tuesday, Mardi Gras. Anyway, it's said no other holiday boasts more lively music, bead throwing, mask wearing, eating, drinking, or parading. Partiers around the world are encouraged to let it all hang out. The origins of Mardi Gras are rooted in ancient spring festivals and raucous Roman celebrations. By the fifth century, Christian church leaders realized their new converts weren't about to give up their pagan holidays. In medieval times, the celebrations became known as Carnival, a celebration of merriment that preceded Lent. Lent being the Catholic 40-day period of fast beginning on Ash Wednesday and ending on Easter Sunday. At the time, no animal meat could be consumed during Lent. So on Shrove Tuesday, the day before Lent, European Christians would eat all the remaining meat, eggs, milk, and cheese in their homes. In France, this was called Mardi Gras, Fat Tuesday. As the influence of the Catholic Church spread, so did the pre-Lenten festivities. By the end of the 16th century, Mardi Gras was officially penciled into the calendar throughout Europe. Europeans who explored the New World brought, among other things, the Carnival holiday. Over time, Montreal, Rio de Janeiro, and most famously, New Orleans became new Carnival capitals. The French and French Canadians who settled in southwestern Louisiana during the 17th century let loose on Mardi Gras with masked balls. But when Spain took political control of the area, the masked balls were outlawed as suspicious behavior. By the mid-1820s, after New Orleans had become a U.S. city, the ban on masks was lifted. And in 1827, it became legal to wear masks on the streets during Mardi Gras, giving the Carnival a new face. The party got a bit wilder in 1837 with the first New Orleans Mardi Gras parade. Over the next several years, the annual parade was marred by violent outbursts. City leaders debated ending the custom when in 1857, a secret society of men called the Mystic Crew of Comus organized a new kind of parade. 
Floats and ornate costumes dazzled the crowd and proved the parade could be both safe and festive. After the Civil War, more crews joined in the New Orleans Mardi Gras. These organizations ushered in new customs and themes, like Mardi Gras official colors, green, gold, and purple, the official anthem, If I Ever Cease to Love You, and the official king of Mardi Gras, Rex. For the 10 days leading up to Ash Wednesday, crews crowded the narrow streets of New Orleans' French Quarter. By the end of the 1960s, Super Cruise, featuring elaborate floats and celebrity guests of honor, brought in tourists to the Mardi Gras celebration. In New Orleans, and throughout the whole world, Carnival has become a multi-billion dollar party. In times of natural disaster, like the aftermath of Hurricane Katrina in 2005, Mardi Gras was downplayed a bit, and in times of war, the celebration was outright canceled. But there is always the promise of its return. And that's a pledge that has been kept by centuries of priests and partiers alike. Orleans definitely is a party city, and this city gets turned upside down every Mardi Gras season, and it has just begun, and will run for the weeks ahead. So now, you just seen a history of what you normally hear that's being reported by the news media. It tells you about Mardi Gras that brings everybody to New Orleans. But what's the connection to Christianity, and what is Satan hiding behind this program? So. We're going to talk about Mardi Gras now, and we're going to begin with the beginning of Mardi Gras and Twelfth Night. Twelfth Night and its origins, and we're going to spend most of our time talking about the origins of Twelfth Night today. It's going to take us a couple of programs because, as you see, as we go through the program, the pieces of a puzzle that's been obscured in plain sight is Satan's plan to literally counterfeit God's plan in the exact reverse order. Just as God has a, has a season for His holy days that begins at Passover and completes with the Feast of Tabernacles and the last great day, which, which occurs in God's plan during the growing season, during the growing seasons of this world. Satan's plan begins when God's plan is concluded, going into the wintertime, beginning with the cold, in the, in the time where there is no growth, there is no fruit being produced. So it's an absolute 
opposite, diabolically pagan origin in 12th night begins Mardi Gras and begins the Mardi Gras season, but it ties Christmas to Easter. So now let's begin talking about that program with 12th night. 12th night is also called the Epiphany, which people understand is the Epiphany. Well, now what is that? It's known as three, as the King's Day or Three Kings, and basically they get this out of the Bible, they say. Three Kings Day. The Epiphany is from the Greek word epiphaneia, which means manifestation or appearance. In other words, the wise men who saw the light, saw the star in the east, followed that star to Christ. This was their epiphany or their seeing of the light or seeing of Jesus Christ. Hence the term the epiphany. It's derived also from the verb meaning to appear. So the light appeared to them in referring to as the day of lights. So now we have the epiphany, the wise men, they see the star. And at that particular time, it brings them to Jesus Christ, who is light. And so it all ties into a, a, a term called the epiphany. Is the 12 days that follow Christmas, and it's from December 26th to January 6th, which is the day most people keep now, January 6th. Some people keep it January 5th in, in uh, Europe, and that's depending on when you count on the day of Christmas or you count the day after Christmas as your beginning counting point. That's the only difference. So here in America, they begin the counting on the day after Christmas. They count 12 days to the epiphany or to the wise men who actually come to the manger. Now, try to understand the time frame where Jesus Christ, when, they, when these wise men, or the, they call them the magi, comes to Jesus Christ and they're bringing him gifts. Remember, they bring in him the gifts of, of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. So the assumption is, because there were three gifts, there were three wise men. The Bible does not tell us that. There's actually no proof or conclusion of how many people there were of these wise men that brought these gifts to Jesus Christ. Hence, you have the song, The Twelve Days of Christmas. And it's, it's an annoying song that, that people love. And they, they play that every year, you know, on the 12th day of Christmas. And then they go through and they begin the countdown. They go one after another, 12 days, which is a takeoff of the wise men bringing the gifts to Christ. Okay, so that begins the Christmas counting from Christmas on. It's only been in recent decades that the Christmas season actually, it used to begin after Thanksgiving. Now it begins all the way back to, I mean, to uh, Halloween the Christmas season, because it's become such a merchant uh, capital now, is that they have to get as much time as they can to spend as much as they can because it's become a trillion dollar industry. You know, it just, just, they cannot exist and businesses cannot exist without it these days. So now that's the beginning of the time of the counting. It goes back as far as the play by Shakespeare. This play by Shakespeare was written in 1601 and 1602, and it begins the 12 days of Christmas with the popular song that was written, believe it or not, in the 1700s, which I just talked about. All right, Twelfth Night. Twelfth Night literally starts what is called the Mardi Gras season, and as you heard in that video just now, they call it Carnival, or the Carnival season. Here in New Orleans, because we know Mardi Gras, it's called the Mardi Gras season begins, but it's actually the Carnival season. Now, what I've brought here, traditionally in New Orleans, is called the Funny 40 Fellows. 
strange spelling, but that's what they call it, the, the Funny 40s Fellows, and it begins officially with the, tra- with the streetcar ride down St. Charles Avenue, which is the main parade route and the original parade route for all the parades here in New Orleans. And these are the guys that actually kick off Mardi Gras with the toast, the mayor's there, the city council, and everybody's there to begin this wonderful season and bringing in millions and millions and millions of dollars of revenue to this city. The period known as Carnival runs from 12th night all the way to Fat Tuesday. So now we're going to have to talk about Fat Tuesday and what determines the amount of time that it would run from 12th night to Fat Tuesday. Believe it or not, the counting has nothing to do with the 12th night. It actually begins with the counting of Easter way out at the end of the season. That's what determines which Tuesday that the Mardi Gras will fall on, believe it or not. We'll talk about that next time. It also became known as Mardi Gras Day, Fat Tuesday, or as you heard in that video, Shrove's Day. All right, so here now, the Magi and Mardi Gras. There isn't any connection. I'm repeat that. There isn't any connection anywhere in the Bible to place the wise men in Bethlehem at this time of year. So everything is built upon a lie. Literally is built upon a lie. This entire season, the program, the beginning of the counting, bringing all the way to a Mardi Gras season, which takes you to Easter, is built upon an actual lie. There is no way to place the Magi in this part of the world at that specific time. Let me show you what we're talking about. I encourage you, if you have not seen it yet, go online, look for it, or write for it. Better yet, get a copy of this DVD, December 25th, the day of the Invincible Sun. In this video, I don't have time to hear now to, to prove it to you, we prove to you that there is no way that Christ was born anywhere or near December 25th. At the very most, it's possible that on December 25th, it's real possible, or if not on December 25th, somewhere very closely around or just before December 25th, that the conception of Jesus Christ took place on December 25th. So now, knowing this, knowing that there's no way that Christ was born on this day, there is no way that the wise men would have been there 12 days later at conception. They came to him after he was born, which was sometime in the fall, probably around the Feast of Trumpets or possibly during the Feast of Tabernacles on, the same, on that year. All right, so now, so what we're looking at is the absolute lie that the wise men could not be around 12th night. So the entire premise is built upon a lie. All right, let's go on. Matthew 2 talks about these math on the, uh, the Magi. It's called the chapter on the slaughter of the innocents. So I'm not going to read the whole chapter because it's got a few verses and I didn't want to take all the time to do that now because I want to get the rest of to the Mardi Gras. So if you go to Matthew chapter 2, you read that when Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, there came wise men from the east in Jerusalem, saying that where is born king of the Jews? Well, we have seen a star in the east and have come to worship him. So we know that story. So now we know something else. When the, key quest, the king questions them, is that he says, when you find him, bring him back. And so he also asked another question. When did you see the star? So what he was trying to determine was about when was this child born 
that you saw this star and you followed that star. Well, we know the story when God says when these wise men left Herod, they were warned, do not go back. And God takes Jesus and, and, and his mother and father and he brings them to Egypt to protect them. So now, what are we looking at now? When the king realizes that he has been deceived, that these men are not coming back, what does he do? Verse 16. Then Herod, when he saw that he was mocked by the wise men, was exceedingly wroth and sent forth and slew all the children that were in Bethlehem and all the coast thereof from two years old and under. So the amount of time that Jesus Christ was born or that the wise men seen could have been as much as two years in time. So Herod wasn't going to take any chance that he was when these wise men got to Jesus. Could have been two years or less. Who knows how long it was? It doesn't tell us. But Herod knew that from the time they saw the star and they began to follow that star to Jesus Christ, that there was about two years time of passing. And so he killed all the newborn male babies from two years old and under. So there's no way that these wise men met Jesus Christ on the 12th day after he was born. Absolutely impossible according to Scripture, which is another confirmation that 12th night never took place and is an absolute lie being perpetrated by a pagan church. All right, so now, with that foundation, let's begin going through 12th night. It is also the beginning of the king cake season, which plays an integral part of Mardi Gras. Now, have you, have you ever heard of the king cake? Well, most people do. They sell millions of these king cakes every year, millions of them. Inside the king cake, there's a baby. Now, the baby basically is representative of the one who would be king, which is representative of Jesus Christ, the baby in the manger. It has a lot of different meanings today. But basically, that's what it was. And this is where it began, that everyone would take a part in this cake, in the king cake that actually begins on 12th night. You're not supposed to eat this cake before 12th night. And on that day, that the participants would all get a piece of this cake. And in that cake, somewhere there's a baby. And that baby, whoever gets the piece of cake that has the baby, he is supposed to be the king of the carnival. Well, now it's just king of a day if you get a cake because it only lasts for a day today. But in times past, whoever got the, the baby was the king of carnival, and it began with a bean, not a baby. We'll talk more about that. This period is known as carnival, runs from 12th night all the way to Fat Tuesday, what has become known as Mardi Gras Day. So in some parts, whoever participates in this king cake, if you get the baby, you're supposed to buy the cake the next day. All right, so then it goes on and perpetuates itself day after day after day until Fat Tuesday. This began way back, and this is a painting of Peter Bruegel, the elder. This was a self-portrait of him and they believe his connoisseur in 1565. This is how far back this goes. Now, he has, in this painting, just, just uh, a few years earlier, this is 1559. You see this, this picture? All right, so in this picture... What are we looking at? It is the fight between Carnival and Lent. Now, this fight between Carnival and Lent means the fight between evil and good. All right? Now, think about this now. As Mardi Gras builds in its, in its uh, 
it's, it's evil toward, I don't know how else to describe it, in the debauchery that continues to grow day after day, week after week, until Fat Tuesday, which is the biggest and the greatest of the debauchery of the entire season, right? So what, and then what happens the next day? Is supposedly everybody who participated in all the sins, the lust, the evil, the debaucheries, the sins, the, uh, the immorality, and everything else that goes with it, on the following day, they go to the church and they're forgiven of all their sins. That's called Lent. That's the time that begins to lead you up till Easter. All right, so now you have from Christmas, Twelfth Night, to the hinge, and I'm going to talk more about that as we go through this, to the hinge of Mardi Gras, beginning now this, the, the religious section that brings you to Easter. So it goes from this incredible sin to incredible forgiveness. By the way, that's the theme and the theory behind Mardi Gras. I'm going to leave you with a question today about that. So now let's look at this picture. You see the picture here? Let me describe what's going on. Here you have the, all, the, all the, the, um, the food, the eating, and all the stuff that goes along with the picture on the left. There's a line right down the middle. And on the right side, you have all the religious portions of that in the, in the picture. So you go from the, the battle between evil and the battle between good. So here we have that, the battle between good and evil. That was all the way back in 1559. All right, so now let's go on. So here's a question. What does Twelfth Night, King Cakes, and Mardi Gras have to do with Christmas and Easter? I alluded to it just a moment ago. It begins to connect the two, but in ways you can't imagine until you put it down in black and white and you build upon the scripture. That's what we're going to be doing. The baby in the king cake represents the baby Jesus who would rule over the land till Fat Tuesday, as we spoke about just a few minutes ago. Originally, there was a bean placed inside the cake, and the peasants and the lowest of the people, even criminals of the town, would take part of that cake. Whoever got the cake was king of Mardi Gras season. It was the lowest ruling over the ruling class. Rebellion and evil rules. Now, during that time, it's like the world is turned upside down. The world's turned upside down. And the lowest, the most evil, the most corrupt, in the original stages all the way back into ancient times, the worst of the worst became the king of carnival. Can you imagine that? There was even a period of time that they would literally go into the prisons and take out a prisoner who was on death row and they would make that prisoner king of carnival. And on Mardi Gras day, that prisoner would be killed as the sacrifice to forgive all the people and they would begin the religious day the very next day. Well, obviously, they're not going to find anybody willing to do that on their own. And, of course, that custom didn't last very long, but it did exist. And you can find it written in the history books. The period of time of 12 months, all right, going back to the king cakes, the period of time from 12th night to Mardi Gras, Fat Tuesday, is called the period of misrule. Amazing, the period of misrule. In the Bible... When Jesus Christ came into Jerusalem, when he was riding on the donkey, you remember the story? 
He comes riding in on a donkey, and they're throwing palm branches in front of the donkey, and the donkey's walking on these palm branches. And all the people are, are, are reveling and say, here comes Jesus, King of the Jews. The Jews. And what did the Pharisees say when all this was said and done? They said he was turning the world upside down. Remember that? That they had to stop him because he's turning the world upside down. And literally what's going on here is what you're looking at right here. This period of misrule is that it was turning the world that time upside down. In other words, the, the servant ran the, the leadership. In other words, the evil ran the good. But when Jesus Christ came, what was he doing? He was turning the world back up, right side up. Where he, as king of the Jews, would be ruling again. He would be over king over all this world. So what he was doing, he was right siding up the period of misrule. The period of time from creation of the time of Adam where Satan was in control to the time of Jesus Christ. That period of misrule and Jesus Christ was going to turn things right side up again. So that's what you're looking at during, the, during this period is a type of misrule. It's known as the period of misrule from Twelfth Night to Mardi Gras Day. It is the time where evil takes control and rules. So now what does that have to do with Christmas and Easter? Let's continue to put our puzzle together. Tomorrow, I'm going to do a sermon, and I'm going to put a lot of these pieces together, and I'm, I'm trying to get it done in one sermon. But there's a lot of information. As you can see, that everything I've just told you here today, that's only a part of Twelfth Night. But all of that plays a significant role into leading into Fat Tuesday and Easter, which ties in Christmas. So tomorrow, so I'm inviting everyone now, if you don't have a church to go to, if you have a church to go to, please go and fellowship with your brethren for church. But if you don't have one, or you know somebody who doesn't have a church to fellowship with, we're going to live stream this sermon. It's called The Biblical Mystery of Mardi Gras, Hiding in Plain Sight. And we're going to talk about what defines the Mardi Gras. For example, when you see Mardi Gras, how about this bull? Remind you of anything from the Bible? Well, it should. Remember when the children came out of Egypt? When they built, and Aaron built them and fashioned them a calf out of gold. Isn't it amazing how all these things tie into ancient Egypt, far beyond the Romans, and ties it all in together to religious customs today. So now, I hope we don't have a problem with our internet. Because last week when we live streamed, we had a problem with the internet, and it was going in and going out. But I hope it doesn't happen tomorrow. If you have service and you go to, and even if you watch it live on stream, this sermon is going to be offered absolutely free of charge to anybody who wants it. All you need to do is call in or write in, and we're going to get you this sermon. You know, be all you need to see this sermon is going to open your eyes to something you may have never put together in the fashion of the way we're putting together, linking these two and showing how it is an absolute anti-program that Satan has provided for evil as God has provided for his plan for salvation. Absolutely amazing. Just as God has had a plan for salvation, Satan now also had a plan. He has his days and his seasons and his time. Just opposite of God's. Absolutely amazing. So make sure you get this sermon tomorrow. So now, so what does that remind you of? 
I mentioned to that in just a few moments ago. Does that remind you of anything in the Bible? Well, there it is going down the, uh, the parade route. This is actually one of the lead floats for Rex. Rex is called the King of Carnival. And at the very beginning of Rex, the King of Carnival, leading out, what do we have? A pagan symbol. It's almost like Israel with Aaron and coming out of Egypt and said, These be thy God, O Israel. Remember that? Remember when Aaron fashioned that, O oh God? So here we have on Carnival Day, as it magnifies the sin and grows to a point that these be thy God, leading off Mardi Gras Day with the king, uh, the, the greatest of all the sinners, on Mardi Gras Day and being led by a pagan God. Isn't that amazing? Celebrate it in plain sight. The Egyptian pagan god, there, look, sound, look familiar? That's from the Babylon float. There's a parade called Babylon. It's, it's a crew here in New Orleans called Babylon. By the way, there's also a crew called the Crew of Satan. And they, they march every year too. There's an incredible amount of crews. Like they said, there was 130 parades that take place, and most of them are built around paganism. All right, so there we have the remind you of the scripture. There's Babylon in New Orleans. You can find it when you finish the program here. Go back to Exodus 32 and take a look. And you will find the thing I was quoting you. Be, These be thy God, O Israel. Look familiar? Well, absolutely. It ought to remind you of something. So now, a question. So now let me, let me begin to lead us into our conclusion for our program today. So I'm going to give you a question for next week. From what scripture does the misapplied principle of biblical truth, right? Let me ask that again. From what scripture does the misapplied principle of biblical truth of Mardi Gras or Fat Tuesday come from? There's literally a scripture in the Bible that the, 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 uh, the pagans, the, 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 the Catholic Church, and probably most of the Protestant churches today who participate and think that this is a good thing, it actually comes from a scripture in the Bible that takes the truth of God misapplies it and places that as the foundation of Mardi Gras that everything's built upon. Any idea where that comes from? Well, we are back. We hope you enjoyed that segment on uh, Mardi Gras and, and our Nuggets portion. We're going to have part two and part three in the next two weeks to complete that, that series of the Twelfth Night in its connection to Mardi Gras. So we, we hope you enjoyed that. All right, now let's begin to wrap it up. January 14th, 2022. This is actually the segment of the three DVDs that are online now, and we call it Satan's Holy Trinity. It is Christmas, Mardi Gras, and the greatest fraud ever perpetrated on mankind, Easter. So when you go take a look online, you can get these three right now. And take a look. If you've never seen them, there's a lot of information there. All right, let's wrap it up. In the mail last week, The Rock of Salvation by Steve Council. In the sermon I did, My People Doth Not Consider one of the Preparing for Your Destiny series that we just recently uh, completed. Also in the mail last week was our January newsletter, Preparing or Repairing the Breach. In the sermon that we gave, you can get it online or if you get it a card, send us in the card. We'll send you a DVD so that you can get this DVD and be able to sit down and watch it and share it with everybody you know. Alrighty, let's conclude our program today with the Genesis creation and Last video you just saw was God's creation. This is Genesis creation. Take a look and I'll be right back to close our program. 
In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, and the earth was formless and empty, and waters and darkness was over the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. And God said, Let there be light. and he separated the light from the darkness. God called the light day, and the darkness he called night. And there was evening and there was morning the first day. The second day, God said, put an expanse between the waters on the earth and the waters above. And God called the expanse sky. On the third day, God said, Let dry ground appear and separate the waters on the earth. And it was so. God called the dry ground land, and waters he called seas. And God saw that it was good. And God said, let the land produce vegetation, plants and trees, the land produced plants and trees bearing fruit according to their kinds, and God saw that it was good. The fourth day God said, let there be lights in the expanse of the sky to give light on earth. And it was so. God made two great lights, the sun to govern the day and the moon to govern the night. He also made the stars and set them in the expanse of the sky. And God saw that it was good. On the fifth day, God said, let the waters be filled with living creatures. and let birds fly above the earth across the sky. So God created the great creatures of the sea, and every winged bird according to its kind. And there was evening, and there was morning the fifth day. And God said, Let the land produce living creatures according to their kinds, livestock, creatures that move along the ground, and wild animals, each according to its kind. And it was so and God saw that it was good. Then God said, Let us make man in our image, in our likeness, and let them rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the air, over the livestock, over all the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God he created him. Male and female he created them. God saw all that he had made, and it was very good and there was evening and there was morning the sixth day. By the seventh day, God had finished the work he had been doing. So on the seventh day, he rested. Isn't that an amazing a video on creation? And on the seventh day, he rested. Try to imagine if he'd, he rested on the uh, first day of the week. 
nothing would have got created. <laughs> the seventh day of the week, he created. All right, that's it for our program today. We got a lot to cover, and I know we went over time today. I just try to make it as, as timely as possible, all the information that's going out there. So as we close our program today, we want to thank everyone again for all the help, for your prayers, for the support, giving us a very successful year last year in the midst of all the COVID and all the problems that were taking place. And remember, tune in next week, take this program, share it with everyone you know. They will love you for it or not. Till next week, God be with you.